Welcome to Wild, What I Am Learning Daily. This is your host, Dr. Adam Rindy. This is a special series that I do as part of the One Thing Podcast where I invite you into my personal learning lab and you get to hear an insight of research articles, conferences I've attended, and various topics that I'm diving deeply into. And I share my synopsis and takeaways from each of these experiences. So listen in to this week's episode of Wild. Welcome to the next episode of Wild. In this particular episode, this is going to be a focus on a lecture I attended in the Microbiome Summit um, put on by Dr. Jacob Allen from Nationwide Children's Hospital. He spoke on the role of the intestinal epithelial cells in the stress response. So just to briefly define some things, the intestinal epithelial cells is the barrier between the lumen of the gut where all the action is with the microbiome and the immune system, which is on the other side, which has dendritic cells and they're they're kind of the negotiators that um, will influence the immune system um, after the epithelial cells pick up information about what's going on in the gut. So the role of stress on this particular, these cells is an interesting topic. So just to quickly review that on the brain-gut axis is what we're really talking about in this lecture. And there's a lot of discussion as to um, how these two organ systems interface. And if you've followed some of my previous talks and guests that I've had on the podcast, you'll know that We've talked a lot about the vagus nerve being intimately involved and um, how the vagus nerve helps regulate stress response and parasympathetic activity and how um, hormones can be affected in the gut based on the tone of the vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve is one really interesting component of this topic of the brain-gut axis. This particular talk specifically went down the route of looking at stress hormone responses on the microbiome composition and how that influenced inflammation in the gut. So this would be really appropriate in thinking about patients with inflammatory bowel disease, also patients with IBS. Um, These are populations that this particular topic really would relate well to. So diving into what I learned from this particular lecture, um, I want to start by just setting up that, you know, Dr. Allen mentioned that it's been shown that uh, hormones that, you know, are released by the adrenal glands Um, in response to stress, such as norepinephrine, um, have been shown to grow pathogens like E. coli and also increase toxins like shiga toxin. So this was something that was already established going into his research. And so they wanted to kind of dive into this deeper. And also it's been shown in many studies that stress in humans, like high altitude training and military tra- training, can alter the gut microbiome. 
and change even and this is my my understanding is that these particular environments can also change the permeability of the gut and lead to increased permeability so he pointed out that there's been 11 out of 14 studies that showed positive relationship between stress and IBS and stress and IBD. This was referred to an article by Maudsley and Rampton in Gut 2005. And then he also pointed out that there's, there's been research by Jaglet in Gastroenterology Research 2013 that stress is a trigger for IBD relapses. So um, this is what is kind of the framework of his study. So what they did is they took mice populations and they started to look at um, creating stressful environments in these populations and looking at what would happen to the microbiome and inflammation. So they used this model called social defeat where they would, we would put mice into an environment where they, there was an, an aggressor mice mouse in the environment and um, the other mice would under stress would show defeat postures and um, they were able to kind of create this simulated stressful environment. So what they found um, in previous research is Dr. through Dr. Amy Makos is that when they create these stress environments they see high sympathetic um, nervous system activity and high HPA axis activity in the socially defeated mice. And they saw increased um, infections of a uh, bacteria called Citrobacter rodentium in these mice. They also saw increased inflammatory markers, TNF-alpha and nitric oxide synthase um, were higher in the stressed animals. And they saw inflammation go up and this was specifically mediated by NF kappa beta. So they further went into this topic and so they took out in their research in Frontiers of immun Immunology, Dr. Makos and Dr. Allen's group um, took mice and they took out NF kappa beta. So when you do that, you basically reduce a key inflammatory response. So this, the, the head mice that they took NF-kappa-beta out, and when the mice didn't have NF-kappa-beta, they had reduced bacteria infection to Citrobacter and decreased inflammation markers. So it left him with a key question is that does um, stress uh, hormones coming from the sympathetic and um, sympathetic nervous system and the HPA axis lead to increased inf epithelial inflammation. So they did further studies with this and they were looking at genetics and they saw that 182 genes were altered by stress in these mice, including some that were really, are highly associated with gut barrier issues, called, one's called REG3B and one's called FUT2. So they saw that in the intestinal epithelial cells, um, there was uh, an increased inflammation, um, increased immune response, and increased gut barrier remodeling 
when exposed to stress. And that was um, something that, you know, really proved that particular component of their model. So he points out that glycoprotein biosynthesis is a key finding because that shows that when these animals were under stress, that their mucus layer was being disrupted and there was increased turnover. Um, they also wanted to measure in these these animals if the um, if there was disruption of the mucus layer by specific markers. They looked at LPS lipopolysaccharide, and it was raised in these mice as a marker of leaky gut. So. The question is that he had next was, is this microbes that's driving the intestinal epithelial cells or is it the stress hormones um, driving the response in the int intestinal epithelial cells? So what they did next is they took germ-free mice, so they took out the microbiome completely and just um, exposed the animals to stress. And interesting enough that the inflammatory markers did not go up without the microbiome present. So um, they do see that at that point that the link was highly associated with um, microbes being present. But they still were questioning, you know, how much would microbes, the stress plus microbes play a role in the um, intestinal epithelial cell response. So what they did is they stimulated um, germ-free mice with common markers of inflammation that come from bacteria. So this is brilliant. They used flagellin and lipopolysaccharide. And so if microbes were being stimulated by stress, they would produce this particular, these particular um, inflammatory drivers and they saw something called DUOX2 go up. And this is a protein that's um, a marker of inflammation that's on the epithelial cells of the intestinal epithelial cells, um, on the tips of the, the epithelial cells. And what DUOX2 is associated with is it's responsible for uh, production of free radicals like um, hydrogen peroxide production. So the, in that particular model, they weren't able to show that epinephrine, norepinephrine, cortisol added in with this had any effect on the intestinal epithelial cells um, inflammation. Um, so they were left with us that surprising finding, um, but necessarily not necessarily conclusive. So he pointed out that the critical thing about DUOX2 going up is that DUOX2 um, is, if, if chronically stimulated, um, it's associated with pathobiont growth, which is like pathogens in the gut that can cause inflammation. And it has been shown that DUOX2 is upregulated in Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. So... They wanted to see, well, what's DUOX2 have to do, and does DUOX2 change the microbiome? So they repeated the stress model experience and looked at microbes that grew under stress and those that were downregulated. 
and upregulated was one called S2, S24-7, and then Enterohabitus and Marvita Briantia, um, and those were up, and there was several that were downregulated. So they wanted to see what the association was, and the question came down to um, facultative anaerobes versus obligate anaerobes, and it seemed to be that the facultative anaerobes, those that can survive in an oxidative, uh, um, uh, this oxidative stress environment were able to survive where others were not. And um, this was highly regulated, highly associated with this DUOX2 expression. So the question is why, and what he was stating was that higher oxygen environments grow facultative anaerobes which have something called high catalase activity. So these particular organisms can survive under this oxidative stress because they break down hydrogen peroxide better. So he summarized that um, this creates, this, in this environment of, of stress, um, it creates an environment that would favor facultative anaerobacteria and so this was conclusion was that this bacteria that grew was, was high catalase activity. And so another conclusion is that stress can increase the catalase activity. So they've taken this research towards humans and they found that um, studying st stress in the microbiome and, Crohn and Crohn's disease that low perceived stress versus high perceived stress resulted in different microbiomes. And so this recent study they've done in 2020 with uh, the lead authors, Mackner, and Dr. Allen was on the study, published in Psychroneuroendocrinology, showed that pediatric Crohn's patients with high perceived stress grew something significant called para parabacteroides. And this particular bug has high catalase, again. Um, so these these are certain pathogenic bacteria could survive or pathobionts which are potentially pathogenic bacteria can survive under stress in their study groups in the IBD population whereas in the low perceived stress groups they didn't so my opinion here is that you know it's fairly straightforward that you know treating IB, IBD and IBS without addressing stress is missing a core component in treatment and so we can look at treatments like counseling uh, specifically GI counseling lifestyle changes um, therapies like vagal nerve stimulation um, and herbal and nutritional treatments that help counter anxiety and stress meditation these are core, should be cornerstones in treatments for the IBD and IBS patient. And especially, you know, if, if you see if a flare is, you know, at risk under stress that, you know, a program in place to kind of help counter the impact of stress on the microbiome, on the intestinal epithelial cells is key. Thank you so much for tuning in to WILD and I look forward to sharing further episodes with you. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning into this episode of Wild. If you like what I'm doing with the One Thing podcast and also with the episodes on Wild, 
please show my show your appreciation by going over to the page that you're listening to and liking this episode and subscribing to our episodes. Also, if you're really appreciating what I do, you can head over to anchor.fm backslash Adam hyphen Rindy, R-I-N-D-E, and become a sponsor of my episodes. Um, I'm really enjoying doing the podcasts and the wild episodes. Um, They do take a considerable amount of time and resource to put on in high quality. So any um, support that you can give would be greatly appreciated. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the One Thing Podcast with future guests and further episodes of Wild.